0: Have you ever had the experience where you wanted to recommend a movie to a kid or perhaps a friend at church, and you thought, it's such a great movie, and then all of a sudden you remember, oh, but there's that one scene. You know what that's like when you want to wholeheartedly endorse something, but you think, man, if there just wasn't that scene in that movie. Or if you had the experience where you've gone to buy a house or to rent an apartment and everything about it is perfect. You love the location, the price, the layout, all those things, except there's one thing. Just one thing that isn't quite right with it. Or if you had the experience where perhaps you were coaching a soccer team or something like that and you think to yourself, we've got somebody for every position on the field. Except we don't really have a goalie. (laughs) And you look at the list and you think, none of these kids want to play goalie. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Or the experience where you bring home your report card or you check it online. (laughs) And every one of your classes, you've got a good grade except for one. We all know that feeling to have that one thing that threatens to ruin the rest of it. Where everything else is great, but that one thing threatens to ruin it. Now, if you're like me, perhaps you've tried in your mind to come up with a workaround for those, when those kinds of things happen. Maybe you think, well, I could recommend the movie, but I just got to tell them to fast forward this one scene. Or maybe you think, you know what? Well, we could just, we could buy the house rent the apartment or whatever, and maybe we could remodel or make changes, or maybe we can somehow add a bathroom or do something to fix that one thing that feels like it's sort of a showstopper. Maybe you're like, well, we could just put all the really good kids on defense, and then there won't be any shots on goal, and it doesn't matter if we don't have a goalie. <laughs> or maybe you think, you know what, I'm going to work really hard at the rest of my classes and the fact that I'm terrible at math or terrible at English or whatever, and I'm gonna get a bad grade. Maybe if I could just get the rest of the grades high enough, I won't worry about that. There are workarounds, and we all try to kind of deal with the fact that there's that one thing that threatens to ruin everything, but those workarounds don't really solve the problem. We know deep in our hearts, we still have angst about that thing. That thing about the house, or about that movie, or about the soccer team, or whatever, it's just not right, and we wish it was. We wish it was different. Well, we've been talking about soccer teams and report cards, but what if we were to apply this to people? What if you're dating somebody, and there's so many things about this person that you just absolutely think are wonderful, but they have this one flaw they're always losing their temper. And this one thing seems to crush all the rest of the good stuff and threatens to ruin the rest of the stuff. Or maybe there's somebody at work uh, that you'd like to promote or assign to a project, and you think they would be awesome for this, they would be perfect. Except they don't really actually get along very well with their coworkers or maybe there's somebody that you're uh, in an area you're volunteering at the church and you think we've got an open slot we need somebody else to come and help volunteer. Oh, I've got the perfect person. They would be ideal for this. To work with the youth or the children or senior adults or whatever and then you think oh, except that they really are prone to gossip and they don't keep confidential confidentiality. Now maybe everybody in the room Is doing what I did when I wrote the sermon Which was think of other people for whom this might be true of (laughs) Where there's that one character flaw That threatens to ruin their character That's not what I'd like us to do this morning What I'd like us to do is think whether anybody else in the room Might be thinking of us That if there's something about our life Lots of good qualities But that thing that threatens to ruin the rest of who we are That thing where someone else, maybe even God, might say about us. So many good qualities. But there is this one thing. This morning, we're going to talk about the subject of blamelessness. And blamelessness has to do with the idea of not having those significant character flaws. And the good news that I have to announce to you this morning is that Jesus came, died on a cross, was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins, and God sent us his spirit and promised, now listen carefully to the promise, that every one of us who are believers in Jesus will be holy and blameless in God's sight. And the good news here is that when God sees in us that thing that threatens to ruin the rest of who we are, that he does not approach it the way we do. We try to come up with a workaround. We try to make excuses. We hope that the other things are good enough to outweigh this one thing. The good news is, is God loves us too much to leave that thing in our life. And the promise of God is that he will root it out and transform us. And so this morning, we want to talk about what that means and how it happens. So please, if you will, would you take a Bible and turn to the book of Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. It looks like this. And in Titus chapter 1, is page 965. Titus chapter 1, page 965 in the church Bibles. I'm going to read for us verses 5 to 7 of chapter 1. This is Paul speaking to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be what? Blameless. Faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be... Blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, I told you when we started on our sermon series in Titus, we were going to do it a little differently. That it's not really a verse by verse study of the book of Titus, it's a topical series, but we're simply letting God choose the topics for us through Titus. And so this morning, we're not going to be talking about elders. And we're not going to be talking about qualifications for elders. We're going to be talking about the topic of blamelessness. You saw it in verse 6, and you saw it in verse 7. This is a quality that must be present in people who are going to be elders. And although we're not talking necessarily about that this morning, the good news is it must be possible. If this is a qualification that elders must have, it must be possible in this life to be blameless. And the good news is, although God requires it of elders, he wants it for everyone and has promised it to each one of us who are believers in Jesus. We will be holy and blameless in God's sight. And because God has promised it for our future, we can begin to experience that now in the present. So what is blamelessness? Well, first, I need to say that when we talk about blamelessness, we are talking about character traits and moral qualities. We are not talking about personality things. So if you happen to say, well, I'm not a very good singer, or I'm not good at math, or I like to take naps, or I really enjoy uh, hanging out and talking with people, or I'm re-energized when I'm away from people, that all may be true about you. You may or may not like those things about you. Other people may or may not like those things about you, but that's not what we're talking about here. Those are personality things and we all have them and they make us unique as people. We are talking about character traits. We're talking about moral issues. We're talking about the kinds of things in our lives that have to do with sin, have to do with those flaws that end up torpedoing the rest of our character. Second, when we talk about blamelessness, we're not talking about being perfect. Now this one gets confusing, so please listen carefully. To be blameless does not mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you and I are without sin. No one is without sin in this life. Doesn't mean that you're never unmerciful. It doesn't mean that you're never angry. Blameless doesn't mean that you never participate in gossip. It just simply means it's not an inherent part of your character. So if someone were to say about you, yeah, I've seen her get angry before. Guess what? You're a normal human being. Still sin. God forgives it. But that's different than if someone were to say about you, She's an angry person. In one case, it's a sin and we all fall into sin. In the other case, it is a character flaw. It is something that is consistently, ongoingly true about us. Blamelessness does not have to do with being perfect. It has to do with rooting out those areas so that people would not say about us, we are angry people or we are characterized by being unmerciful, or that I'm an ungenerous person. Third, when we talk about blamelessness, we're also not saying that a blameless person excels at everything, that they're the best possible Christian they can be. I said to you earlier, the example of a movie that you want to recommend to somebody, but there's that one scene that makes you cringe, that one scene that you think, oh, that kind of disqualifies my ability to recommend that movie. It doesn't mean the rest of the movie is an Oscar-quality movie. It doesn't mean this is the greatest movie ever made. To be blameless just simply means there's no scene in the movie that makes you cringe. To be blameless as a person does not mean you are as much like Jesus as possible. It does not mean that you are constantly full of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that somehow you're some magical combination of Moses and David and Hannah and Paul and Mary and that you have all their good qualities and none of their bad qualities. It doesn't mean that. It just simply means... There isn't that one character issue. There isn't that one moral quality. There isn't that one character flaw for which God especially would say, man, so many great things, but there is this one thing. Blamelessness is not having any of those things. What are some of those character flaws Well, Paul lists some for us. In Titus 1, verse 6, after he talks about blameless, he then lists possible character flaws. Uh, Lack of faithfulness, being a neglectful parent. Verse 7, being overbearing, quick-tempered, given to drunkenness, violent, Pursuing dishonest gain. We could, of course, add more to this. Laziness. Gluttony. Being manipulative. Being deceptive. Being constantly defensive. Being overwhelmed all the time by anxiety. Again, every single person has anxious thoughts. Every single person can struggle with Uh, temptations we're not talking about that we're talking about the character trait by which you as a person could be described as dishonest or manipulative or lustful to be blameless is to not have any of those areas still struggle with sin but no areas whereby those character flaws are present now if you heard one of those and you thought "Ooh, that one hits a little too close to home I have good news for you. God's promise is he's going to take that, whatever it is, addiction to alcohol, quick-temperedness, whatever you struggle with with gossip, the promise is he's going to take that area and root it out and transform it. That he did not send me here to beat us up for the ways in which we fall short of blamelessness, He sent me here to announce that because of Jesus, God has determined he is going to take those things and get rid of them. That my job is not to condemn us. My job is to announce the blessings of Jesus, whereby other people in your life or in my life, other people, even ourselves, may have found workarounds. We may have said, yeah, well, all these other things outweigh that. God loves you and me too much to leave those significant character flaws in place. And his promise is, I'm going to fix it. How's he going to do it? And how do we participate in what he does? Please turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, that's page 982. You're flipping pages from right to left, just a few pages. Titus, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4. God has promised out of his great love not to leave us in the situation where we or others or God might say about us, wonderful person, so many great qualities, but. And what is God going to do to get rid of that but? But. Dot, dot, dot. 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Peter is talking about how God roots out of us those character flaws driven by ungodly human desires. And he begins with the example of Jesus. He says, Jesus suffered in his body. He says, because that's true, you need to understand Jesus' suffering so that you can understand our suffering. Jesus came from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. And he suffered. Why? Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now look at this next sentence. Son, though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was ever disobedient. What it means was Jesus matured through suffering. That even though he is fully God, because he's fully human as well, he is more mature at age 30 than he was at age 10. How did he become more mature? Hebrews said, God the Father matured Jesus the Son by allowing him to go through suffering. And Peter's point is, because that was true for Jesus who had no character flaws, who had no sin, who was already blameless, you and I should take the same attitude and realize God is determined to mature us through suffering. That the purpose for which suffering comes into our life is so that God can cause us to grow in our obedience, just like Jesus grew in his obedience. In our case, we have the added benefit that through suffering, God will root out those character flaws and transform us and make us blameless. We'll never be sinless. That's why when Peter says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, he doesn't mean you've become sinless. What he means is those significant character flaws have been rooted out, that we no longer live the rest of our earthly life dominated by those traits that threaten to ruin the rest of who we are. It's through suffering that God brings about the transformation or by those character flaws are just simply not part of our life anymore. The individual sins might be, but the character traits, the moral qualities are transformed. Keep going with me in verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. <clears throat> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter says, because suffering is the means by which we grow and mature... Because Jesus suffered, you and I should not be surprised that God allows suffering in our life to root out those ways in which we are not yet like Jesus. And Peter says, according to 1 Peter 4, that's the purpose for suffering. You can think of it this way. Suffering is like in the medical world, a nuclear dye test. Nuclear dye test is when uh, medical personnel send radioactive material through your body to try to highlight something in your body that is not functioning the way it's supposed to. Peter says suffering is a test to highlight what's not working in our moral lives. It's not a test for God, he already knows. It's a test to show it to us so that we can see, look, something's wrong with your kidneys, something's wrong with your liver, something's wrong in your body, and that nuclear dye test is designed to show us what would have remained hidden otherwise. So God allows suffering to come into our lives to highlight for us where those areas are in which we are not yet blameless. For example, it's September. September is busy for lots of people the busyness of school or the busyness of work kind of getting back on track or the busyness of the ministry year starting up God allows that busyness to come into our lives a form of suffering to see for us to see he already knows how we're going to react are we going to react by trying to clamp down and control more things Are we going to react by trying to get stressed out or anxious? Are we going to react by working more hours to make everything get done that needs to get done? That's designed to highlight that we may have a character flaw that we've made control and idle. We may be workaholics. We may not have enough faith to trust that God is going to take us through this. God's allowed the busyness of September into our life to show us This is what's going on. It gets through your system fine until it gets to this point. And then the anxiety kicks in. Then the control kicks in. And God's trying to show us that's the thing we're going after. That's what we're trying to root out. If you're suffering from a health crisis, God's allowed that health crisis into your life to show you Here's where the character issue is. Are you and I putting too much faith in the American medical system? Are we thinking to ourselves, if I could just get to the doctor, and when the doctor says, I can't see you for a couple of weeks, we begin to think, oh no, I'm in trouble, as if the doctor or the medical system is the solution to the problem? Are we afraid of death? Are there things about our lives, our hopes and dreams that this medical condition is causing us to have to let go of, and we're all of a sudden face to face with the fact that I don't want to let go of that? That's God in His kindness allowing suffering into our life to highlight for us you or I have a character flaw in that area. We've got misplaced faith, we're afraid of death. We're selfishly holding on to our vision for our life instead of yielding to what God wants for us. And the purpose of suffering is to show that to us because while you or I might be able to find a workaround around that character flaw, while we might be willing to ignore it in other people, while we might be willing to say, yeah, but look at all those other good qualities I have. God loves us too much to let that go and so he says I'm going to send the suffering allow the suffering to come into your life so I can root that out not to condemn us not to punish us but to transform us that's why Peter says look don't be surprised that you're suffering this is how this works and if you're suffering it's a blessing from God so what should our response to these things be? Verse 19, 1 Peter 4. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Three things that we should do in response to what God is announcing this morning. Number one, trust him. Peter says, commit themselves to their faithful creator. God knows what he's doing. This is not the first time he's rooted out an addiction to technology from somebody's life. This is not the first time he's rooted out a character flaw of gossip from somebody's life. This is not the first time he stopped someone from being manipulative in their personality. This is not the first time he's dealt with deception as part of our character. He knows what he's doing and he's sending just the right things into our life to get after that. Have you ever wondered how in the world are the things in my life highlighting the weakness that I have all the time? That's because there is a faithful creator who keeps sending that stuff in to show us I'm going after that thing. And even though everybody in the world, look, your school or your workplace or your family, they may celebrate that character flaw. The world in which we live may pay you more money because of that character flaw, but God loves you too much to leave it in there. And he says, I'm the creator. I know how to make you into a person who is like Jesus. And the perpet point is, trust him. He says, I'm faithful. I will not send more suffering into your life than you can handle. Now you've been there, I've been there, where it feels like we've gone way over the edge. We're like, okay, Lord, that verse can't possibly be true. I am about broken into And God says, trust me, I am not doing this to punish you. I am not doing this to harm you. I have let this stuff into your life because I love you. So trust him. He knows what he's doing. Second, let suffering accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Let suffering do what it is designed by a faithful creator to do. I told you a couple of weeks ago, when God makes promises to us about the future, he sets the current of the river in which we live. When he says, I will make you blameless, he has set the current that direction. When suffering comes into our lives, we have the choice. We can either swim against the current or with the current. And the Bible says, let suffering have its perfect work. Let it do what it's designed to do. Suffering is designed to produce perseverance, and perseverance is designed to produce character. Let it do what it's supposed to do. You and I are experts at trying to get out of suffering. Because we think our lives, I'm just like you, we think our lives are the normal is comfort, and suffering is the aberration. For Jesus, the norm was suffering. Comfort comes later. And what God is trying to say to us, look, you think that if you can get done with this suffering, you'll get back to a normal life. That's not how it works. If God is determined to teach us how to love our enemies, if you run from one enemy, you're going to find another one waiting for you. Because God is going to do his work. And some of us are experts at trying to get out of this suffering and that suffering. And God says, you're running from the medicine that's going to cure you. And I love you too much to let you run. And so the point is, let suffering do what it's supposed to do. And we ask God not to eliminate suffering, but to use the suffering. We ask God to do what he wants to do in it. And then third and finally, because it's a faithful creator who's doing this, because he's in control and we're not, because he is the master physician for our souls and we are not, ask him for wisdom in the midst of it. James says, Count it all joy when you go through various trials and procedures because these things are designed to root out the character flaws and to make you blameless. But when you go through these things, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you don't know why the nuclear die test is going through, if you're not sure what the nuclear die test is, is highlighting, ask Him. He gives wisdom freely without finding fault, and it will be given. Simply say, Lord, why am I going through this? Lord, what are you trying to root out? Lord, what are you up to? Lord, how do I participate in this? Lord, how do I stay with this? Lord, is this the kind of suffering I'm supposed to try to get rid of? Or is this the kind of suffering that I'm supposed to submit unto, under? Ask him, and he will tell you. We all know what it's like to have that movie or that report card or that apartment that team or whatever, where everything else is great. But there's this one thing. And when God looks at us, he says, I love you too much to let there be anything at the end of that sentence. Blameless does not mean perfect. It does not mean you're as much like Jesus as possible. It just simply means that God has taken whatever those character flaws are and he's worked them through. And the promise is he's going to do that. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.